1: What's going on, my friend? March has arrived and we are only weeks away from the big tournament. Yeah, that tournament. Make sure you head to Bet Online and open an account today to get in on their $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest starting March 15th. Yeah, that's right, I said $100,000 in March 15th. You don't need to be hardcore to get in on the action and with multiple entries available, this is the season's best chance to cash in. And remember, The NBA and XFL are still going strong, so whatever your passion is, BetOnline is the place to be for all your betting needs. So visit our good friends and exclusive partner, BetOnline, to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for a free account, and make sure to use that promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for your 50% sign-up bonus. It's also in the description in case you forget it, bet online. It's your online sports book experts. It's Chris-a-mania, brother. That's a great question. Look at you, man. What's with the you? powerful questions. <laughs> Woo!
0: This is the Chris Van Vliet show. Chris Van Vliet show. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van
1: Vliet. Welcome back to an unbelievable episode of the Chris Van Fleet Show. See what I did there? This episode is brought to you by Bet Online, and what an honor, what a privilege to sit down with one of the voices of AEW. I feel like there's not a lot out there about Excalibur. I mean, he does wear a mask, but who is the man behind that mask? Why does he wear the mask? Oh, we dig into all of this here. Please take a screenshot, tag me, at Chris Van Fleet, tag Excalibur. He's at Shut Up Excalibur. Seriously, that's his name on Twitter, Shut Up Excalibur. And last week, you guys were amazing at leaving these reviews on Apple Podcasts. We had a huge boost last week, so thank you for that. And if you're listening to this on an iPhone, please take six seconds to take it out of your pocket and leave a five-star review if you haven't yet. Thank you to everyone who has left it. The specific goal for this year is a 1,000 reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're up to 740, and March just began. So thank you. I'm going to keep reading one on the show till we get to that specific goal of a 1,000 reviews. Because you know, vague goals get vague results. Specific goals get specific results. And that would make a great t-shirt, wouldn't it? Wow, vague goals get vague results. ProWrestlingTees.com slash Chris Van can grab one there. Please leave a review like this one from King Roo 2 in Ireland. The title of this is Excellent Podcast, Number One in the World. Well, that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This is by far the best wrestling podcast that's out there today. Chris takes the time not only to listen, but he lets them speak their mind. Thanks, listening from Ireland. Well, thank you. That's very kind. I just Look, I love the fact that I get to share this with you guys and that I get to do this at all. But it's mind-blowing to me that we can live in a world where I can have these conversations in a hotel room, like this chat with Excalibur, just the two of us in a hotel room, and boom, click a couple buttons, put this out into the world, and we can all listen to it together. And for a lot of people, the first time that you heard Excalibur was all in, September 2018. And if you were like me, you're like, ooh. This guy's good. And then when they showed him on the screen, you're like, oh, this guy's wearing a mask. Which then, of course, leads to, why is this guy wearing a mask? Who is this guy? And if you are familiar with Excalibur, you'll know that he used to be a wrestler. He's one of the founders of PWG, Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, the massive indie federation in Los Angeles where so many stars have gone through. And now he's the voice of AEW, along with Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross, where he told me that he's learned a ton from working with those legends. And while Excalibur was working in PWG as a wrestler, he became the voice for PWG as well, and then transitioned out of just the wrestling and into strictly the broadcasting after a few injuries there. So this is why he has such an in-depth knowledge of all of the moves And you'd be surprised to hear the wrestling that he grew up watching and who his broadcasting influences are. They are not who you'd expect them to be. So here we go. Give it up, my friend, for Excalibur. I'm sitting with a masked man right now. And nothing strange about that. <laughs> two, two grown men in a hotel room, one of them wearing a mask. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to do this. We had talked about making an interview, you know, doing an interview for a while. So here we are making yeah, it happen.
0: My, my pleasure. It's
1: uh, always happy to talk. And it's it's great to hear your voice and see you a little bit on Wednesday nights. You're just doing an incredible job on Dynamite. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's
0: uh, you know, it's, I would say it's a dream come true. But my, my father-in-law asked me at Christmas, he said, so is this your dream job? And I said, Well, technically, no, because I never dreamt that a job like this could exist.
1: You didn't dream that big.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, yes, it is my dream job, but no, it's not because I would have never dreamt about doing this because, you know, for the longest time, it was just WWE or or nothing.
1: Those were really your only options. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, so, yeah, it's been it's been awesome.
1: So I think uh, for people who might be, you know, just getting familiar with you over the last year or so, you've got to explain your mask. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, it it may shock people to learn that uh, I used to wrestle professionally. Uh, I started in Southern California, where there is a big Lucha Libre tradition, you know, just being north of Mexico, and Lucha Libre being the Mexican style of professional wrestling. And masks are very prevalent. Not only in Lucha Libre, but also all facets of, of Mexican culture. It's part of their, you know, their cultural mythology, basically. And so I I took a shine to Lucha for two reasons. One, because growing up I was a big comic book fan. And so there was, you know, the superhero-esque aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And two, I just liked the athleticism of Lucha and that style of wrestling more than what was kind of happening in like the mid nineties in WWF or WCW at the time. And so that led me down a road where then I discovered the Japanese version of Lucha where all these wrestlers would, come over from japan they were usually junior heavyweight style wrestlers and they would come over from japan train in mexico and then go back to japan and they started their own promotion uh called universal pro wrestling Grand hamada was the one that started it and that promotion had the very early incarnations of the great sasuke super delphin Takamichinoku, Noku, uh ghetto Jado. Ultimo dragon, you know, like all these guys who would go on to be some of the greatest junior heavyweights. And so that when I saw that and I was like, Oh my God, that's even better than Lucha because it's taking some of the, the harder hitting aspects of the Japanese style, marrying it with like this athleticism. And that really is like my sweet spot for professional wrestling. So, you know, a lot of guys will talk about like, Oh, I remember when, um, you know, Austin and Rock did X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh, no, I remember when, uh, you know, they had the the most amazing six-man match at uh, the Michinoku Pro. Is was a kind oh, wow, of, okay. you know, and, like, that that really is my sweet spot. And so that's, um, you know, like, because I was, I think people could tell from my commentary that I, I am a wrestling nerd. Like, I internalize all of oh, this yeah. stuff. And, um and so uh, that I've always been a nerd in that regard because I would go out and tape trade and stuff like that in the early days of the internet and rec sport pro wrestling. There was like these, these tape trading circles and, you know, and so I was always, um, seeking out stuff. I, there was, when I got my driver's license, I, I found out there was a Japanese bookstore about 30 miles away from, you know, the house I grew up in. And so every Thursday I would drive to the Japanese bookstore, I would get that week's tape of New Japan Pro Wrestling, bring it home, I would dub wow, it on my okay. two VCR, you know, yeah. so it's like
1: I was, I was into it. So was this the mask you
0: were always wearing as a wrestler? No, I actually, uh, in my backyard days, I had a different gimmick. Where I, I was
1: a backyard wrestler as well. Yeah, yeah. so uh,
0: I, was, I was El Scorpio Diablo. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a different mask, but uh, then when I started training, I, I'm i not sure why I wanted to switch. I think, actually, I know why I want to switch because I was in uh, uh, in Southern California when I told, told the native uh, Spanish speakers that I wanted to go as El Scorpio Diablo. They were like, hey, you're kidding, right? <laughs> so, uh, so then I, I switched up to Excalibur, but then you know, switch up to look as well. And so this, this style of mask has always been you know, what I've had since 1999.
1: When you're like, I imagine you don't wear the mask all the time out in public, but I, if you're like checking into a hotel like we're at here, are there ever fans that are like, I know that voice? Occasionally, it uh doesn't happen
0: that often. I think because my my speaking voice is a little different than my announcing voice, like just enough that um, I don't know.
1: This is a booming broadcast voice.
0: <laughs> it is, but uh you know, we there, there's been times where I'll I'll meet somebody, you know, like backstage at an AEW show, and I'll you know, I'll be talking to them for about five minutes. And that's when it finally clicks. Like if I'm just, you know, in passing, you know, if I'm like, you know, uh, like here's my credit card and driver's license or whatever, you know, that then yeah. that's not enough of a sample size. But once there's, there's a little bit of a conversation going, then people are like, Hey,
1: wait a that's second. That's what happened the first time I met you. Mm-hmm. Cause I met you like the day before. And then I saw you the next day with your mask on. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, I'm Chris. Good to meet you. You're like, yeah, anyway, yeah. We, met, we met yesterday. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. oh, I get it now. Yeah, that and, it's, and it's, it's
0: hard too sometimes because I don't remember that I met you out of the mask or in the mask or whatever, you know, and so it's like, uh, then I'm just like, like oh, yeah, remember at the, the hotel lobby or whatever, and yeah.
1: So your, your wrestling career was like seven-ish years, I believe? Yeah, yeah. So what caused you to go from wrestling into commentary? Well, um, it was kind of... By necessity,
0: because uh, in 2003, some friends and I we started a promotion called Pro Wrestling Gorilla, (PWG), and we realized that uh, you know selling tapes and DVDs at the time was uh, unnecessary to, to to have the the business be you know successful. And so, we, I think the first show we released without commentary, but it just kind of felt weird, and so we went back and just recorded. Our, our own commentary is myself and disco machine, and we just did did commentary for the show and it was a lot it was very tongue in cheek it was it wasn 't good like I, if I listened <laughs> to it today, I would just want to tear my ears off but um that was that was the roots of it and you know throughout the years you know we, we didn't have the budget to bring in anybody to do commentary and so we just did it, everything about pwg is you know DIY you know very bootstrappy, and so you know all you know, from, from, from tip to tail was all done internally and including the commentary. And so just throughout the years and, you know, the repetition of doing that, um, allowed me to develop. And then as, as we started going on for longer, I kind of realized like, oh, we, ha- we legit have like the best wrestling in the world. I need to be more serious about my job and commentary to, to do these guys, the, um, you know, the 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 best job possible, you know, because like yeah. if they're if they're going all out in the ring and I'm just sitting here making jokes, yeah. like that that kind of undercuts the importance of what they're doing. So I started taking it a little more seriously,
1: right? and Did you have any sort of formal broadcast training or any play by play training?
0: No, no, it was just uh, oh.
1: it, just listening to the greats.
0: Yeah, well, that you're no. now working with. So, so that's the other interesting thing is, um, of course, I know Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone. I've listened to a lot of their uh, you know their calls throughout the years. But the, um, the the broadcasters that really inspire me are actually like basketball or hockey broadcasters. And, um, you know, like there was, I, I, I grew up in Detroit. And so when I was growing up, the Pistons and the Red Wings were both super hot. And so I was always watching those games and like George Blaha from the Pistons. And then, you know, like now in uh, NBA, uh, Mike Breen is one of my favorite uh, mm. commentators and just listening to, to his delivery and then how he's able to, uh, you know, call the action, but then, you know, tell, tell a, a story and, you know, and especially in a, in a you know, a, a, a sport like basketball or something, you know, there's, it's, it's, Two teams trying trying to score the most points, but then there's all these little sub stories that he's able to identify, and it's like, oh, last time we were in Denver, you know, this this happened; these guys got into a scuffle. You should keep an eye on that. Yeah, and so uh, you know, stuff like that is has been, I think, a little more influential in my style of commentary than you know Jim Ross or Tony Schiavone. But yeah, I mean, they are you know legends in in this in this field. So, so
1: but if you grew up watching Japanese wrestling. You're not really able to learn about the commentary because they're speaking Japanese right,
0: and I think that's where kind of the emotion
1: in my voice comes
0: from, mm. um, because you know when when I would be watching those shows you're right, I couldn't understand a word. But uh, I, I could hear, you know, they would get excited and, oh, yeah. and, and they, you know, they, as, the, as the, the intensity of the match came up,
1: you know, rose, then the intensity of the announcers rose as well. I want to jump back into the PWG stuff because what you've built there is nothing short of incredible and incredibly impressive as well. At what point along the way did you guys start to realize, oh, we've got something really special here?
0: Um, I think it was the 2007 battle of los angeles i might be wrong might be six but uh it was the first show where we had dragon gate guys come over and compete in the in the battle of los angeles tournament and after that happened the guy there was a couple guys that were on the show el generico pack kevin steen that by wrestling with shima and the dragon gate guys they got invited to go over to japan to train uh, and, and work at dragon gate and so Then we're like, oh, this is, you know, we never set out with PWG to to be the biggest or most financially successful wrestling promotion in the world. We started because we loved wrestling and we just wanted to put on good, fun shows. Mm. And so to see... That something that we had built, you know, over four years or whatever it was, was now allowing our, you know, friends and peers in the wrestling world to go on to bigger and better opportunities. Then we were like, oh, okay, we've we've really got something here.
1: I mean, there's like a real legend attached to PWG. The fact that your tickets sell out very quickly, the fact that, you know, you have a very hardcore fan base. Mm. Have you ever thought about running bigger venues so more people can come?
0: So that, um... I'm my involvement on and you know with PWG is strictly on kind of I guess we'll say like the marketing side you know like I mean I was a graphic designer by trade and so all of like the the you know the 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 DVD elements or the on screen elements and stuff like that I still do that I still do the the DVD covers but everything else is all Super Dragon who's uh, my uh, partner in PWG is, you know the he's the the Booker the the live events coordinator he's he's everything and you know he's got a very strong belief in you know keeping things small and keeping it special and um, you know and that's much to my frustration, you know, there's been times where I'm like, Oh, we could do, you know, this type of merchandise or we could do this kind of shirt or whatever. He's like, like, nah, it's all right. I'm like, but we're leaving money on the table. That's fine. You know? And so that's, I mean, that's honestly never been a goal of his to, to run a big arena or to do anything like that. It's just to consistently have the best pro wrestling and to have the best showcase for, you know, because his, his in ring career and my in ring career are, you know, well over with. And so, what we are able to do now is create a showcase for the next
1: generation of guys to, uh, you know, to really get noticed on a larger stage. So if if you started the commentary out of necessity. What was the, was there a necessity to stop wrestling because of that as well?
0: No, the, the, the wrestling, uh, I stopped just because the, the injuries were kind of racking up. Uh, I was, I'd had a few concussions, so I was really worried about that. And then the other thing too is just my heart wasn't into it because, um, because I was injured, I was, you know, less motivated to, to train or to, you know, to go to the gym. It just, you know, it just sucks if you know, you're all banged up like that. And so, so then I started just kind of coasting in between matches and then I would, you know, go out there and I wouldn't have the kind of match that I wanted to have. And I saw all these guys coming up at PWG around that same time who uh, I felt like if, if I, as you know, one of the co-founders of PWG wanted a match on the show, I could have that, but I'd be taking a spot away from somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so I think it it was, it was, a tough realization to come to, but one that I'm ultimately glad I did come to when I came to it because um you know, I mean you've you've talked to enough wrestlers, you know, that they're they're a stubborn bunch and um and some go on well beyond well longer than they should. And so, you know, I mean I'm still I'm still paying the prices from all the stupid decision I made. Uh in, what, in what on years. you right
1: now, like you go, oh, man, I can't believe my neck, knee, elbow, whatever hurts. Uh, it's
0: lower back and knees, mostly. Okay. It's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, I had my, my meniscus repaired a few years ago and then, uh, just um, like almost immediately retore it. And, uh, but because then, uh, you know, like my, my lower back was banged up. And so that's, you know, been an on again, off again issue. But then because my meniscus is damaged, uh, I've changed, like my physical therapist told me like, Oh, you've changed your gait to adapt to how, how your, your meniscus is. So now I'm putting more pressure on my left hip. And so now my left hip is getting weird, you know, it's like, yeah. So it's like this, (laughs) this whole, whole weird thing. And, um, and so you know, I mean, I just try to. Luckily now, I'm able to be a little more mindful of it. I'm able to, you know, to do like the physical therapy exercises and things like that to try to
1: try to relieve the pressure and stuff like that. But so we know who Excalibur the commentator is. Who is Excalibur the wrestler? Uh, that's a good question. I don't. I wasn't.
0: I I wasn't very focused uh, in terms of of you know what my character was or anything like that. Um, ultimately. I wanted to be a good base for guys um, one of one of my favorite rivalries was uh, Rey Mysterio jr. and Seacoses and Wow yeah. um, and Seacoses would always make Ray's stuff look so amazing so I always liked wrestling you know like shorter athletic guys and then uh, you know being able to take their moves really well and really um, you know, really accentuate their athleticism and, and stuff like that through my, you know, through my bumping or through through my taking their moves, and um, I think that's also kind of you know my my commentary style too is, uh, I mean, yes, I wear the masks, but I you know I don't draw any attention to it. I don't really talk about my career. I'm there to uh, to accentuate and to enhance the in ring product and.
1: Was there ever a point when you were starting to make the full time transition into just commentary that you went maybe I don't need the mask? Mm, no, because I mean it's
0: you know I said that 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 era of wrestling in the you know in the '90s in Japan was really my sweet spot yeah. and you know I mean that's it, it's you know it's, it's the thing I love about wrestling is you yeah. know is the, the 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 pageantry the the, the fantastical element this. um you know this this new cultural mythology that's developed around wrestling, and so you know for me uh, you know I mean I've been Excalibur my entire career, and just just because other people don't know about it uh you know for me, you know like I, when i when I take off the mask then then the wrestling ends, you know, like that's, Mm. um, that's a, that's a separate thing. That's my, you know, my away from wrestling life, my home life or whatever. But when I have the mask on, that's when, you know, that's when it's wrestling.
1: Well, I think the first time that I was introduced to you was all in Mm -hmm. and when they cut to you guys, I went, Oh, he has a mask and he's like really good. (laughs) Uh, and I, and I think that you're right. It makes you stand out. It makes you incredibly unique. Mm -hmm. And then you just kind of go, it doesn't matter what right, it looks you,
0: like. Right, you because you see me 30 seconds a show. What does, yeah. it, you know, what does it matter? You know, Jim Ross wears a big black cowboy hat. Tony Schiavone's got diamond earrings. Like, a, like that's, <laughs> you know, I mean, what, is, what does it matter what we, what we look like? As long as we're, you know, doing our job well, then
1: I, it doesn't matter. And, and I think that that's the thing just about broadcasting in general. People don't notice really until you're bad Mm. you know what i mean yeah yeah. unfortunately if you're really really good people just kind of expect it Mm -hmm. and then if you're bad we were like oh that's awful that thing is terrible so how did all in come about for you um
0: i had known the young bucks for i guess at that point about 12 13 years and i i actually met them actually no longer than that because i met them the first time was at uh super dragon. I and myself were running or we like guest teaching a, a class at rev pro, which is revolution pro in Southern California, um, unrelated to RevPro UK. But, uh, we were, we were at the school and we were running a class and Matt Jackson came in and he was, uh, Mr. Instant replay, Matt Jackson, he already had his gimmick and he came in from the, you know, his backyard fed and like, you know, he had all his, his, backyard titles and stuff like that. And, and, you know, like the drill was, uh, you know like leapfrog uh drop down shoulder tackle elbow drop or something like that and he did you know leapfrog drop down shoulder tackle standing moonsault press you know (laughs) and and this was just like in front of like the class and and myself and dragon just looked at you like who is this asshole (laughs) and um so that was the first time we met him and then a few years later they had um you know, they, they kind of realized like, Oh, we can't be doing stuff like that. And they, they'd kind of tightened up, uh, that, that aspect of their attitude and they ended up getting booked on PWG. And so, uh, I had known them through that and Matt approached me about doing all, all in. And he said, you, you know, you are the, the soundtrack to our, to our rise in wrestling and because with you know without pwg they wouldn't have gotten booked in dragon gate without getting booked in dragon gate they wouldn't have got booked in ring of honor without ring of honor they wouldn't have got booked in new japan and you know and so and i was i was there commentating all their pwg matches throughout the years and um you know and so that was that was really special for me to be acknowledged you know i mean i i truly believe they are they are the best tag team in the world and so for Somebody, you know, to, to get that type of acknowledgement from them was really special. And to have me, you know, to, to, to bring, bring me on board for that. Uh We, we just, before doing this podcast, we did a panel here at C2E2 and, Cody, you know, the subject of me, me being on all in came up and, uh, I, I told Cody, I, was, I said, I said, well, you were out on me. And he's like, I wasn't out. I just wasn't convinced because oh. he, you know, he didn't, you know, he was a little weird about the mask. Cause you know, obviously he's got a traditional wrestling background. He came from WWE where, you know, things are done a certain way. And after he watched the show, he was like, all right, I get it. You know, it's fine.
1: But the fact that he was willing to give you that chance, though, I mm-hmm. it
0: speaks volumes for your work. Yeah, I, I I appreciate that, and I appreciate you know the faith that the the Bucks put in me, and then you know the the fact that they thought. Um, you know, my, like I said, no professional broadcast experience, but they thought that I could do a good job on cable TV, primetime cable TV, you know, is just mind boggling. So the, the, the amount of faith that they, they've put into me, I hope that, you know, I've, I've been able to return on my side, you know, with, with my, you know, with my output, you know, any, like even, even a tiny iota of, of that. So then what changed for you after all in, uh, all All in was actually the, uh, the same weekend as my, uh, un- <laughs> the same weekend as my sister-in-law's wedding. Okay. And so I had to get like a very serious permission slip to, cause it was the, the, the weekend or the, the wedding was on Sunday. All in was on Saturday. So I missed the rehearsal dinner. I missed yeah, it. Yeah. And, yeah. And I, I had to tell my, uh, my fiance, uh, that, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm never going to have a chance to do something like this. You know, like this, this means a lot to me. All these guys are here. I've seen them come up and she's just like, okay, but if you miss that wedding, I'm going to kill you.
1: (laughs) And And where was the wedding? It was in
0: in San Diego. So (laughs) I was on a a. 5am flight from Chicago to, to San Diego. At least you
1: gained three or two hours when you're going. That yeah. High.
0: And, uh, so I ended, up, I ended up making, making it to the wedding in time. I was, I was dog tired, but then <laughs> when I got there, she was like, she was like, you need to keep your energy level up till at least 10 PM.
1: Wow. And, and uh, not congratulations right. on probably the greatest night of your life at that point. Well, it was her sister's greatest night too. So, <laughs> you know,
0: she's known her longer than me. So yeah, fair enough. But, um, but yeah. And so, so, but I did, I did my part and I, I stayed up to 11 and then i just <laughs> just crashed in a heap but uh you know after after that I, I i watched the show back and i watched it with her and i was like wow that was i'm really glad i got to do that and she's like I'm, I'm happy for you and then um a couple maybe a month or so later matt was saying, he texted me and he's like hey there's something coming you know and just we'll we'll let you know what there's something coming and um so you know she and i talked and um you know, because I had a, I had a job away from wrestling, I had a day job and everything. And uh and there was a lot of you know, because you know, the details about AEW at that point even, even after it was announced, it, all we had was the pay per view. You know That's right. the TV deal and everything. Yeah, wasn't basically announced.
1: from January until the pay per view was, yeah, was announced. Six
0: months, yeah. yeah. And and then the T V deal wasn't even announced till uh, I think right before the pay per view. I'm not I don't no, I think it
1: was after that. Was it?
0: Yeah. It was that the upfronts, right? Yeah. yeah. So that made it in June. Yeah. But anyway, so, you know, like, you know, I was saying to her, you know, could, it, is, can I make a career of this? Like, is this possible? And she's like, I don't know. I mean, you know, like, she, um, it wasn't that she was supportive, but she was trying to be realistic and I was trying to be realistic too, because there's been so many failed pro wrestling promotions and, you know, and and so it's like, obviously I knew that that to be, you know, I have a healthy dose of skepticism, but um, you know, once I met Tony, Tony Khan and talked with him, saw, you know, the, the infrastructure that they had set up from January 1st to May 25th and, you know, all of this stuff and all these people that, Um, that we're taking a chance on, on AEW. I, you know, I, both she and I agreed that, yeah, this was um, something that, you know, that it's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I, you know, I couldn't pass it up.
1: So what was, what was the plan? You know, if, if AEW hadn't happened, what, what, what course were you on?
0: Uh, Just keep my day job, you know, and keep, keep doing PWG. And, Mm -hmm. and I would, I mean, I think I would have been happy with that, you know, like, I mean, I would have, had I said no to AEW and AEW gone on to uh, you know to what it is today, and I and I had turned it down, I would be you know miserable. But you know, had AEW never never even been an option, I think I, I would have been been fine because I I never I never had any expectations of you know about my involvement with wrestling beyond just PWG and beyond being a place where guys could you know apply their you know sh- you know sharpen their their instruments and you know get ready for the the next stage, whether it was,
1: you know, Japan
0: or WWE or wherever.
1: When you found out that Jim Ross was getting hired on, what was your reaction? Uh, there's absolutely no way they're going to let me sit next to Jim Ross. <laughs> <laughs> Were you like, I'm out of a job now? <laughs> um, no, but I
0: I just, just thought, like, you know, there's no way Jim is going to be able to sit next to a guy in a mask. And... <laughs> Uh, and, and then the, the first time we met, um, you know, we, we, they, they flew us to Atlanta a couple of weeks before double or nothing to do kind of some, some chemistry tests. And, uh, you know, the first time we met, I, you know, I, I, I knew that already he was, he was very skeptical of, of me and my abilities. And, and he said, you know, like, uh, the important thing here is to is to get over the boys in the ring not yourself and i said I, yeah thank you sir i know that you know and that's i i hope you you know you... and after after that weekend um you know he was i think a little more at ease and then after double or nothing he was like okay yeah like you know you are you are focused exclusively on getting the the in-ring product over and so um I was I was very very happy about that to get his kind of seal of approval.
1: And then Tony Schiavone gets added on a few months later, you know, what were your feelings about that?
0: I was awesome because I was always more of a WCW guy uh, during the Monday night wars than the WWF guy. And, uh, I mean, I would watch both, but I always sure. look, look forward to WCW more just cause they had the, the cruiserweights, the Lucha guys, the Japanese guys. And so that, that would, I wouldn't have to, you know, get, get a fourth generation VHS tape to see that. <laughs> and, uh, so, so I always heard Tony a little more than I heard Jr. and, uh, and so, I mean, that was cool because I really, um, you know, I, I really liked Tony, um, as as a fan and then getting to meet him as a person is he's just like the absolute coolest guy. He's
1: so nice too. Yeah. Like one of the nicest people I've ever met in wrestling.
0: Yeah. And 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 the, the great thing about Tony is he th- I mean he thought his his wrestling career was over. He thought you know he was never going to really do anything again. He was happy doing, you know, University of Georgia sports, doing uh, minor league baseball. And I mean that, that and he that's, you know, those are, that's a cool thing to be able to, not many people get to do that. And yeah. so, and so now that he gets this kind of second act in wrestling, he is just, I mean, he's beyond thrilled because he also, after WCW, he did step away from wrestling and he really hadn't watched. And so now all this stuff that he's seeing is new. And so when you hear him, uh, and he, he reacts surprised or shocked at something, <laughs> That's authentic. You know, that's not like a manufactured thing. He's just like, oh, my God, I've never
1: seen that before. (laughs) Those are two pretty good guys to sit under the learning tree. Yes. And I am so thankful for that. What's the biggest thing you've learned from Jim Ross? Um, The economy of words,
0: Um, you know, being being concise and... um, And now, now that I'm not, now that I have to think about it and say it, I'm not being concise at all, but, uh, (laughs) it's ironic. Yes. But it just, you know, because for PWG, I was used to either calling it all by myself or only having a two man booth. And in AEW with the three man booth, we have to share the ball a lot. And so if I do have a point that I'm trying to make, getting out, making it quickly and concisely, Mm -hmm. not only uh you know is a better messaging tool for the audience and you know saying getting them to understand what i'm trying to say but it also creates an opportunity for a conversation to happen between the broadcasters where you know tony or jr can expound upon it and you know and then it really adds emphasis to it versus me just saying this is this this way because of this yeah it it creates a conversation and it it uh, raises the importance of it.
1: Now, is there something specific you learn as well from Tony?
0: Uh, I, th- I think the the part of my job that I'm uh, the worst at is being a pitch man and, you know, saying, it's like, oh, you know, tickets will be on sale for Denver, blah, blah, blah. Tony can do those in his sleep. <laughs> he is so great at that. And so uh, I'm always looking for, or I'm, I'm listening to him And listening to how he transitions into it, like the openings that he looks for, um, or or if he's got a specific segue or something, you know, and so that's, that's something that I, I'm very happy that because, and they both have two completely different styles. And so being able to learn from these guys that are, you know, legends in their industry, but then uh, have two distinct styles of broadcasting has, has been so great.
1: And, and there's not really a play-by-play guy or color guy or a third guy. You guys kind of all just come together, and what comes out always sounds great.
0: Well, thank you. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, at first we were kind of, you know, in that, in that first uh, chemistry test with JR, we were kind of trying to determine the roles because it was myself, Jim, and Alex Marvez. And Alex has since moved into more of a backstage role. Uh, interviewer role. But, um, you know, so it, Jim was saying, it's like, well, you know, I'll, I'll handle the play-by-play. Um, you know, you can be analysis. Alex can be, you know, statistics. And that was kind of the original way way we started it out. But then I think once Jim realized how familiar I was with like the Bucks, the Lucha Bros and all, the, all these teams, um, he realized that there was not not no way that he could catch up with that level of knowledge but he already had somebody here that knew that yeah. so why not rely on me and so yes for like those type of matches I will be you know I'll be play by play and uh for a more traditional style of a match like uh, Cody versus Dustin Rhodes Jim Ross will will take you know take the reins on that and it's not something that we ever say, like, okay, you're doing this, I'm doing
1: that. It just kind of happens naturally. That's the best way for it to work. Mm -hmm. And now you've got Taz in the mix. Yeah. So this is from a viewer speaking here from the outside looking in for me. Is Taz coming in when Tony Schiavone is doing something in the ring? Um,
0: originally Taz was coming in as kind of Tony's backup because he, uh, he still had university of Georgia commitments and so Tony couldn't be at TV every week. So that's, that's what Taz was kind of brought in for on a, on a case by case basis. But, uh, everybody loved having Taz backstage and you know, the network loved Taz. And so, um, you know, now he's kind of yet like, uh, this past week of dynamite in Kansas city, Tony had so many hosting responsibilities on the show that it just made sense to have Taz out there instead of Tony getting up every second match or, you know, right. doing that. And so, and, it, and it's great that we have kind of a, a relief valve too, you know, in, in, in Taz, if, uh, you know, if JR gets stranded and, you know, wherever I'm, I'm stuck somewhere, you know, we have, you know, we can have a three man team yeah. out there and a really good three man team.
1: Well, I think people don't realize from a production standpoint, there's more than just you guys calling what you see on the monitor. Mm. I don't think the fans realize that you have to pitch to, these tickets are on sale or we're gonna throw to this package that sets up this match and all that type of stuff. So walk me through like Dynamite ends Wednesday night, then what's the rest of your week look like leading up to the next Dynamite?
0: Uh, So not only am I, you know, I have my on-screen announcer role, but I'm also a marketing manager with AEW. And so I'm working behind the scenes with uh, Dana Massey, our uh, our CMO, and she and I kind of work together on just, you know, basically anything that's, that's marketing related, whether, um, you know, like Jeff Jones, it handles a lot of our, our hands all of our, you know, social media and our kind of digital stuff, but you know, whether it's like a printed thing, a banner, uh, marketing elements, advertisements, billboards, whatever, whatever that is. Dana and I worked that we, we kind of, uh, you know, we've developed like the brand identity and things. And these are all things that I've done in my, away from wrestling career. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so it's been actually really cool because I mean, that's something I do enjoy working on. And then to be able to, to have that aspect of it along with the, you know, the onscreen aspect is, is really cool. I mean, those are like two of my biggest passions. And so, so after TV, um, you know, fly home, catch up on, you know, catch up on the emails. We'll, you know, kind of chat with the Turner guys. You know, what, what are they thinking about next week? What are their big marketing activations? Then weekends are usually, you know, thankfully pretty quiet. And then you know Monday we we uh, you know have conference calls with the Turner team our internal team about the, the next week's you know priorities and then uh, Tuesday morning flying out to Dynamite and then uh, Tuesday night production meeting Wednesday you know show day Thursday fly home you know catch up <laughs> with the, Dana the, emails you know rinse
1: lather repeat yeah yeah I, I I'm surprised to hear the Turner people are that involved with what's going on they are they've been a, a fantastic partner.
0: With us because, you know, at first we were kind of skeptical. We didn't know, know what to expect, but the team at Turner has given us their, their full throated support. They have dedicated so many unexpected resources to us and, um, it's, they're, they're just as invested as, as the, the internal AEW team is in, in our success. And that's, that's really awesome. Like here at C2E2, we have AEW, we have our own booth presence but Turner, um, in in order to to promote dynamite has, you know, had made a big marketing spend on uh, everybody gets like a AW drawstring bag and there's mm. like free posters and all this stuff. Wow. And so, and that's separate from our company. That's all done by Turner. And that's, uh, and so they are super, super uh, involved in, in promoting the show.
1: Well, they should be. I mean, they're probably pretty happy yeah, to have yeah, oh, such a sure. popular show on TNT. Um, but in terms of the actual like work that you do that we hear on the air on a Wednesday night, what all goes into that?
0: Um, I, I have my own, you know, kind of way of, of writing up my notes and stuff like that. Like, well, uh, after the the production meetings, uh, Alex Marvez will actually kind of write up some bullet points about, you know, like, uh, statistics and, and these sort of things. And I like to let jr and tony have those and then i write up my own notes because if we're all reading from the same thing Mm. then it you know it could kind of sound uh you know a little redundant or something like that so i try to look for for different you know different angles of storytelling than um you know than than the other other guys might and um so yeah i mean i you know I, i watch back the shows I, you know, I've got, I've got my own uh, notes, like almost kind of like a, like a diary of, of things that had happened, like, you know, like for Cody and MJF, um, like as it's happening, if I have certain thoughts, I'll, I'll write that up. And then I have like a, you know, a Google doc that I could just refer to um, that said, you know, week whatever in Huntsville, like this, this happened and you know, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, so then I'm able to to take that chunk out, put it into my show notes for that day and, and that sort of thing.
1: Now, now people are, that are watching overseas, they get like a different feed, right? So when when it goes to commercial, they still hear your commentary, right?
0: Yes, yeah. They uh, the the fight TV feed is is uncut for two straight hours, and that's got to uh, be
1: difficult because that's usually the point. And I speak from experience in television during commercial breaks is when you get to talk to producers, mm-hmm. figure things out. Did that go well? Let's try this. If people are able to listen in on this, how do you get that stuff accomplished?
0: Uh, that's it's tough because well. So I've my all of my broadcast experiences have been up up till dynamite. I've been on a pay-per-view. And pay-per-view is just, you know, four straight hours. That's true, yeah. And for PWG shows, um I there's no producer or anything. There's no it's just me, you know, talking into the um into the into the box and there's four straight hours of that, you know. And so like I've I've always kind of worked in in, in that way. Um but you know, Jr. and Tony are used to TV wrestling, used to commercial breaks and stuff like that. And so there's uh, what what we'll end up doing is we, ha- we have a talk back button where we can talk back to the truck. And so if I have to relay something to Tony and we can't do it in commercial break, I'll, I'll relay it to the truck, then they'll put it back out to Tony or to Jim or whoever and that's kind of how, how we get around oh, and the that talk
1: back of. button doesn't go over the air
0: right yeah oh, and okay. so we're talking directly to the producer yeah.
1: right do you have a favorite call I mean it's only been you know not even a year but do you have a favorite call so far of yours
0: um <sighs> I I like uh, when uh, the best friends do the hug. Uh, I I just said it. uh, You got to give the people what they want because every time they do it, they do the big Okada zoom out, and it's it's way more dramatic than it than it should (laughs) be, which is amazing, right? And so, so I, I just I said that just like as a joke one time when they did it. And, uh, you know, because it is so absurd that they're doing the zoom out on this hug. And, um, and then, so now it's just become like one of my calls. And then JR's favorite call of mine is Tope Suicida. And, yeah. uh, and so like when, when a guy does a dive, he'll literally like turn to me and be like, eh,
1: eh? You know? <laughs> When you're done calling the show, cause it's not just Dynamite, it's obviously dark as well. Mm. What's your voice sound like? Uh, it's pretty good.
0: I, um, you know, like I think... Um, as as time goes on, I'll probably have to do some you know vocal training or you know some, like what what singers or, or anything like that does. But you know now because I'm only calling one show a week or in cases like this with the pay per view two in a week, I've got enough downtime in between that it's not you it's know arrested. yeah yeah and I and yeah. you know like I've done pwg shows like battle of los angeles where it's it's three straight days and i'm doing it solo and it amounts to being like 13 straight or you know 13 hours and three days of wrestling that i'm calling and by by the end of that like i'm totally fried and so to have you know to just do three hours on a wednesday night with dynamite and dark um you know maybe a little scratchy afterwards but by, you know, by Thursday night, you know, by like 24 hours later, I'm back to normal. Well, it? when I
1: did the interview with Justin Roberts, he talked about there was a point in his WWE career that he almost lost his voice, mm-hmm. like completely. Yeah. And, I, you know, I get it. He's very, you know, very boisterous with his mm-hmm. voice. But, you know, you you are, too, is you know, with your style. And I think
0: it's the not only is the AEW schedule helpful to the interim wrestlers. It's helpful to, to everybody that's involved in the show because Justin doesn't have to hit the gym, you know, like he doesn't have to hit that every single night, night after night, after night. Um, you know, he, he has to hit that once a week, yeah. you know, or, and so it's, it's, it's helpful in that regard. And, you know, it gives longevity to to everybody. And, and I mean, including like the the production team, you know, they, Instead of, you know, striking the the stage and getting, you know, getting it out to the next day to, you know, the next town and and putting it up and and having to do that, you know, work this, this, this breakneck schedule, they can, you know, strike the stage, get it to the next town, and then leave it in the next town, fly home, fly back, get the stage up, you know, so it's, it's a much easier schedule on everybody.
1: You must have so many frequent flyer miles already.
0: Yeah, um, I'm gonna. What's your airline now? Uh, I'm a Delta guy. Okay, um, and Is it diamond medallions. What year? Uh, I to get to? just missed diamond last year. Ah, and so
1: that's a I, lot of flying.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I th- I'll have diamond um, probably by April this year. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that's a
1: hundred thousand miles.
0: Uh, I think it's hundred fifty. Oh, or maybe 125, but I mean, it's, it's all the West to East flights. Yeah, of course, you know, it's every, every, like a lot of, a lot of the guys are based, you know, uh, Northeast or Atlanta, Orlando, that kind of area. So it's like, if we're, you know, if we're doing Nashville or whatever, that's, you know, hour and a half, two hour flight for them. For yeah. me, that's, you know, that's a four and a half. And then sometimes, you know, a lot of times with layovers or something and
1: time know. changes. That's, yep. that's another thing, you know? And that's why, of...
0: that's why I'm always on the, like the 6am Tuesday morning flight is, I mean, that's, that's you just the,
1: like the same flight as the young bucks all the time.
0: No, they're, uh, they're flying out of, uh, Ontario. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. yeah. Orange, um,
1: Orange County. Is it? Yeah. Uh, no, no. no Ontario is, is oh. like
0: Riverside. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. And so, uh, so yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a pretty small <laughs> regional airport, but the the good thing is because they are uh you know evps they could say fly me out of this airport you know and and everybody's like okay cool yeah yeah no problem
1: in doing the research for this interview and just and even finding out about you after all in there's not a lot of information about you out there i mean if you really really did right but is that something that you you like like obviously you're wearing a mask you're a man of mystery you know in a certain way. Is that how you like to keep things?
0: I mean, I do, I do enjoy my privacy. I do like being able to walk through the airport or, you know, walk through the convention center here and nobody really knowing who I am. And cause uh, you know, I mean, despite being involved in professional wrestling and despite, you know, wearing the, the flashy mask and stuff like that, I never, you know, like I said, I never, I never, I always wanted to be a base for somebody. I always want to make somebody else look good. And so I've never really set out, set out to be a star. And, um, and I'm, I'm happy with that. You know, like I, I, it, it would be very easy for me to just all of a sudden take off the mask and be like, this is me. Now everybody noticed me, but it's like, you know, I don't, I mean, I that it's, it's cool when, you know, people r- recognize me or find out who I am and they, you know, they're, uh, and they, you know, they, they smile and stuff like that. And that, that's a cool feeling but um. You know, that's not really what it's, what it's about for me. It's not, 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 not to say that everybody that's, you know, on, on screen is, is self-serving or something Well, that's like kind
1: that, of how wrestling is, though. Yeah, you yeah. Know? In wrestling, people are trying to put themselves over. Mm-hmm.
0: That's and, pretty much and how it is. My my job, I 100% believe my job is to put over the
1: in-ring product. I, but, but, you know, and, and that's, a, that's a rare place to be coming from. I think that a lot of people go, I'm on camera, I'm now. Well, I mean, you know,
0: you're, you're, you're Canadian and I'm from Detroit, which is just right across (laughs) the river from Windsor. I think there's something about that, that Midwest, uh, you know, good hard work will be eventually rewarded work ethic, you know? And I think, I mean, that's something that I, I mean, you know, I still believe is just like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't need a pat on the back i don't need to sign the biggest contract today but if i do a good job and you know everybody everybody likes my work uh, both the fans and the you know the, the the office and the turner people then yeah i mean i think one day you know like i mean i'll be be rewarded however however maybe monetarily or or otherwise
1: was there any discussion you know years ago about an audition or tryout with wwe
0: no um i've i've heard a couple rumblings that it's like oh you know they they asked to pull a tape together for you but um i've never uh never been contacted or anything about that and i think you know i mean a large part of it is a my my style in pwg is not the wwe style at all right and um you know, that's not to say that, you know, like Moro Ranallo doesn't have a WWE style typically, but True. you know, they, he, he works in, in, in that system. He's able to work. And so that's not to say that, that, that would be the one excluding factor, but I think there was, there was a number of things that, uh, you know, just, just didn't line up. And so
1: your style is actually kind of similar to Morrow's. you know, it's, it's excited, mm-hmm. which I think is, we're all excited watching wrestling. Yeah, yeah. Why shouldn't you be
0: excited? Right. And I, I think, you know the. The, the tough part that with both Morrow and my style is that, um, if something isn't going well, or if, you know, if you, something kind of lands with a thud then you can't, uh, you can't oversell it because then, then people think you're, you're disingenuous and then they don't believe you. And so that's been um, you know, kind of a, a learning curve for me. And something that I've kind of learned a little bit from from Morrow and you know, listening to him as well is that you, know, you, you have to be truthful. You have to be authentic to your audience.
1: Mm. Have, have there been other people along the way now that you have this job that have either asked for advice or that you've now gotten advice from? um no uh so a lot of
0: wrestlers because they know i'm watching the whole show will, will ask like you know oh, what did you think of my match did you see this how did this look and, and things like that and i haven't really you know spoken to any other any broadcasters about you know imparting advice or anything like that but uh you know on on the indies or you know everybody I think is very supportive and Ian Riccoboni and I have had conversations, Lenny Leonard and I have had conversations. We're all very supportive and very happy for each other. And I think there's like a lot of, a lot of camaraderie in, in that world that may not necessarily exist in, you know, in WWE.
1: Sure. You mentioned your fiance (laughs) earlier. Is -hmm. she a wrestling fan? No. (laughs) So how did you explain this to her? Um,
0: (laughs) well, so, uh, we, I think it was on our, our second date. I was like, I was like, Hey, I've got something to tell you. Oh, no. And, uh, <laughs> and she, uh, she, she's an attorney and she's like, Oh yeah, I have, I have the LexisNexis database. I already, I already looked you up and I already did. And it's like, I know like nothing you're telling me is a surprise. Um, but you know, then kind of introducing her to the world of wrestling and, you know, and by that point in, in my fandom of wrestling, I wasn't really watching it uh, for enjoyment. It was just more to like prep for PWG and Mm. and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, and she, she didn't care, you know, like her, her only experience with wrestling was that, um, you know, when she was in high school, all the boys in her class would do, you know, DX. And, um, and so that's, you know, she didn't really have an opinion outside of that. And so when, I think when she saw how, you know, how passionate and how, um, how much I enjoyed it and how, how, big of a part of my life. It was that she was fine with it.
1: I don't think with wrestling, you can really be one foot in. (sighs) Bless you. you. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you were just watching it before to kind of prep for PWG, you probably weren't all in with it. You were maybe all in with PWG, but Mm. you weren't all in with wrestling. Pardon all the puns about (laughs) all in. But, you know, did that obviously change for you about a year ago? A little
0: bit before that, um, I started watching a little bit more New Japan and stuff like that, just, just for enjoyment's sake. And I, because I think, you know, like with new Japan world, it became a lot easier. You know, I didn't have yeah. to, I didn't have to do a lot of legwork for it. And, you know, like, I mean, at the time, you know, I had my day job, my, my recreational hours were kind of limited. And so I don't want to have to, you know, search for, for content and do, do that sort of stuff. If I can just, you know, pay 10 bucks a month and just get all this stuff is a lot easier. And so then that led to me watching a little bit more wrestling and then, you know, just uh, going, going down rabbit holes, like when, you know, before, you know, I guess five, six years ago for PWG, I would just kind of watch whoever was right in front of me, whoever's going to be on the show that, you know, that night or whatever that week. Um, but then I would, I think as wrestling Twitter has kind of grown, I would see like gifts and I'd be like, Oh, this guy looks pretty good. And then I'd go down a rabbit hole looking at their match. They were
1: not necessarily booked on PWG, but just kind of general awareness. Do you, uh, do you have any advice for someone who might be watching this that wants to be in the position that you're in now?
0: Uh, well, I hope you don't want to be in my position because I, I have no intentions of relinquishing, this. <laughs> but, um, I will die in that chair. No, I think the, the advice would just be, don't, it's, it would be, don't give up, but not in a like, oh, you have to be relentless way, but just don't. Uh, you don't let your discouragement or if, you know, if things aren't, aren't going well, don't let that be the kind of death knell on your dream. You know, it's like, I, like I said, I never expected this to be possible. This, you know, there was some sort of cosmic confluence of events that allowed, you know, Tony Khan, the young bucks, Cody, uh, and Kenny Omega to come together and, and start this wrestling company. And, you know, if, if that can happen, like. Anything can happen. You know what I mean? Like it's just so crazy that that we're sitting here, uh, you know, twenty four hours before our, our pay per view in Chicago, and that you know that's that's just wild. Wow, that sh- that sh- this shouldn't exist. And so, if this can happen, then you know anything can happen.
1: And yet, it does exist. Yeah. And every time you walk into one of those arenas, is it still just like an overwhelming feeling of gratitude for you?
0: Yes, yes. It's it's cool, and you know, like I'm less. Less nervous now that I've you know we've been doing this for 21 weeks or whatever it is and but you know I'm still just like there's still a part of me that that is the wrestling fan that um you know when I hear Jr. welcome us to the show you know, hello everybody and uh, like still kind of gives you know gives me goosebumps and yeah. um and I and I hope that never goes away because this you know is, this is a dream job and so. We're trying to do, I say we, and I, I mean everybody in the company is trying to do everything that we can to make this successful for as as long as we can and to keep the, you know, keep the camaraderie and the culture that we have backstage like it is and, uh, you know, not not turn it into a lot of backbiting or, you know, like that sort of stuff. And I mean, th- that will will happen eventually, but I think, you know, it's... It's important that that we kind of keep that um, that supportive attitude of everybody, you know,
1: since it's been 21 weeks, like you said, what have been the biggest changes since week one and two and three to where you guys are at now?
0: definitely the tightening up of the show you know on the on the on the format the actual mm. run of the show
1: i noticed jr doesn't throw to break he goes we'll continue in picture in picture and from a production decision i'm like that's very smart that is
0: is and it's something that um you know jr throwing to break is an art yes and jr has it down to a science and if if we if we're getting counted down in our ear that we've got eight seconds to break, Jr. has an eight second version of it. He's <laughs> he's got a seven, a six, a five, a four. You know, like wow, he, he's got it. He's got him chambered and he can he can pull him out at any time he needs to. And so because he's you know he's got these standbys, it was a little tough to get him to change it up. And so now he has to. Um, you know, instead of saying we'll be right back or don't go anywhere, or whatever you know, or you know, he has to throw in that picture in picture thing. And
1: But not every break is picture in picture. No,
0: it's not. Yeah. And so and but we're you know we're getting the heads up in our in our ear that, you know, this is a picture in picture, this is a full break, whatever whatever the case may be. Yeah. And um Yeah, so it's there there there's been changes in that regard. And just you know the the overall uh, you know, th- from a production standpoint, there's been a lot of experimentation with like different camera angles and uh, things like that. Like the, uh, there was a couple shows where we had like the sky cam that was on the wire and that, that provides like a really cool angle, but not every building is set up, you know, where they have the trusses in the right place to yeah, do that. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it was, it was something that, that I think the, the production crew really liked, but from a, um, you know, from a logistical standpoint, didn't always work. And so they, they abandoned that in favor of other angles and and things like that. And so there, you know, there, there was experimentation, there will continue to be experimentation, but I think now that we've gotten 20, you know, 20 plus shows under our belt of, of weekly television, um, we know, we know now what the AEW formula is Mm -hmm. and now we can experiment a little more safely with, you know, like knowing that, okay, if this doesn't work, we can fall back on this.
1: And I'm sure that if we had the same conversation a year from now and two years now and three years from now, the product's going to continue to evolve and continue to get tighter and better.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it always will. I mean, that's the, uh, the, the, the whole thing about, uh, I mean, just, I mean, almost anything is, you know, once you become complacent. Uh, you know, people, people realize that and then they stop, uh, they stop being interested.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of the high angle camera, I'm glad you had one when Cody did his moonsault off the cage. I (laughs) I can take
0: absolutely no credit for that. I was, I was really happy we had that too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That was a, that was a pretty insane spot.
0: Yes. Uh, Cody, Cody mentioned that he was like, uh, when, uh, his form was basically like when, on the Muppets, when Kermit would get thrown across the room, He was just like, <laughs> oh. like it was like, like a total rag doll, <laughs> but it worked. That's it it. That's it. it was great. And it was one of, you know, I mean, the thing is we've only, AEW has only existed for f- 14 months at this point. And if you want to call double or nothing, the actual starting point, less than a year right now. Yeah. And in, in that time, we've had already so many iconic moments.
1: Well, and you've got to realize Being on the inside of this, how much AEW has changed the landscape of pro wrestling Mm -hmm. in that short time? Like last January, people were like, this is amazing. There's finally competition and not even a second of a single match had even occurred. Right. And here we are, you know, a year and a bit later. Are you able to feel that? Is it palpable? Oh yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, you know, just from, from the, the level of like not only fan interest, but, um, wrestler interests like you know and not not just guys that are on the indies looking for a break or guys that are in you know wwe that are you know looking for alternative or looking to to leverage us for contractual things it's just you know it's i think it's sparked a lot of people it's, it's it's brought brought the fan back to these kind of wrestlers that might have been jaded and it's brought the fan back to these to these lapsed fans you know that that have been out out on wrestling or you know just might have you know might have watched it still were kind of interested but it wasn't that big part of their their routine but they now have kids and stuff like that and it's that's been that's been actually one of the coolest things is talking to you know people that are that are around my age but now they have you know 10 11 12 year old kids or whatever and and those kids are watching it and you know those kids are painting their face like darby allen or they're you know like doing that sort of stuff and that's that's super cool
1: Look, I've really enjoyed this conversation and I wanna thank you so much for taking the time to do this and man. Congratulations to you. Thank you, man. On yeah.
0: Everything. Yeah. it's I mean, it's my pleasure. And like, like I said, I mean, without AEW, we wouldn't, we wouldn't even be sitting here. So I'm extremely, I don't know.
1: I'm moving to LA soon. So <laughs> I'll, I will be at PWG shows. Yeah. We'll get
0: some fish tacos, you know, we'll do Oh, that. can yeah. we? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, but I'm just, I'm so stoked uh, to see what's been going on with AEW and you know, it's, it's your voice along with JR and Tony Schiavone is that's kind of leading us on this path. That's,
0: that's, so wild i mean still still pinching myself over that
1: thank you so much no, thank you man Appreciate my pleasure you. oh what a chat what a guy and he is just getting started with AEW well AEW's just getting started like he mentioned 21 weeks into television i guess 22 weeks now cuz this was recorded uh, last week i hope you enjoyed this chat as much as i did and i hope that you leave this chat going Man, Excalibur couldn't even dream this big, and now he's doing it. What would happen if you started to dream bigger? Mm. I hope you also leave this conversation with a little more knowledge about Excalibur. And I know that next time you hear his voice on Dynamite or on a pay-per-view, you'll appreciate him that much more. He's very talented. And like I said, he's just getting started here. So take a screenshot. Tag me at Chris Van Vliet. Tag Excalibur at Shut Up Excalibur. And let us both know what stands out the most for you. Oliver Wendell Holmes said Man's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions. Mm, So stretch your minds with the rest of this week and into the weekend. Got a bunch more interviews on the way. One from Impact Wrestling one from someone who used to be in WWE and one from NWA. It's on the way. And if you're going to be in Tampa for WrestleMania week, WrestleMania weekend, I would love to see you there. I'll be there. I think most of the week. I think I'm flying in on Tuesday. So I'll be there most of the week. I'd love to see you. I'd love to meet you. And man, that's like a month away. Man, Time's just flying here. How, how are two months of the year already done? Well, we have 10 more to make this great. Make it a great weekend. Make it a great week. We'll see you soon. Woo!